in our society our social status is associated with kind of job we are holding or work we are doing those holding government jobs are considered elite and gets preferential treatment from banks offering unsecured personal loans to parents looking for a suitable bridegroom for their daughter mnc job holders and nris are second in the social order owing to their fat salary and favorable exchange rates prevailing between dollar and rupees those running their own ventures are third in the hierarchy mainly due to feeling that in india no business can be profitable without cutting corners or warming the correct palms the fourth one in the packing order are self employed the general feeling everyone attaches to the self employed is that they are self employed because no one would employ them except themselves sense of security opportunities for rent seeking chances to flex muscles on weak citizens act as allurement for the job seekers to go for government jobs our mind boggles when we see headlines like engineers phd holders among 8 lakh job applicants for 400 class 4 level government tunes job lately government has realized that it is better to outsource such jobs which requires lower skill levels thus reducing financial burden on the state's budget and increases efficiency involvement of outsourcing agencies reappointment of retired government officials bloating salary outlay of the state has dried up government job openings the reason behind decline in plum mnc jobs and foreign deputations are protectionist attitude of developed nations amid cessation of globalization as we know it lack of social security and increasing inflation which is akin to wild forest fire is making older workforce to defer their retirement thus shutting door on younger workforces faces those who are lucky enough to get the job in such dynamic labor market struggles daily with work life balance lower wages unreal targets and a hanging sword of layoffs our generation needs to move away from the assumption that we grew up with the jobs are for life that you only get fired if you suck at your job or if you are crooked this was our parents mindset it should not be ours you are so much more than an employer issued id badge lately there has been huge hue and cry about joblessness in india is it an era of unemployment or that of a misplaced expectations let's find out gdp is growing gross gst collections were at an all time high in march 2022 export in 2021 2022 were at an all time high and to quote the prime minister india is full of entrepreneurial energy the nation is home to 94 unicorns with total valuation of 320 billion us dollars as of march 2022 anyone with a sober mind with common sense would ask how can jobs be down when so much else is up i think we all know this intuitively there is no shortage of work in today's world there is shortage of jobs look around the world and it is rarely the case that you'll find ideal people much more common is to find people busily engaged in economic activities that yield at the end of the day inadequate income it is the case and it has always been the case that people with paid regular jobs are in fact in minority post pandemic the assumptions of a regular secure full time job is increasingly questionable as variety of less secure contractual relations such as gig economy freelancing in the labor market has grown wage levels 
and income security are casualties of weak aggregate demand and the growing fragmentation of work experiences in the labor market. While most of the reports, media coverages and opposition focus only on crisis and its possible causes, they don't put strain on their brains to douse such catastrophe. You would ask me to take a chill pill by saying that governments across the globe are rolling out fire plants and 10-year plans, establishing new age industries which will bring in mass employment in the future. To all such geniuses, I have a question to ask. Imagine Goa as your favorite vacation spot. Would you buy a plane ticket from your place to Goa for the year 2032? Even if they are, op- they are being offered at dirt cheap prices, common sense suggests many things will change and airlines silly enough to sell tickets so far in advance will probably be dead. Yet, most of the think tanks and western institutions such as International Labour Organization aka ILO, International Monetary Fund aka IMF, World Economic Forum aka WEF, etc. publish well-meaning soul-suggesting reports suggesting where the jobs will be in 2032. No one can know what jobs will be created and where they will be created in the long run. Imagine someone whispering in Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru's ears just after his famous at the stroke of the midnight speech. Pandit ji, India will have close to 5 million people writing software for the world in 21st century. I know that's too deep in the timeline. Let's try for one more time. Fast forward to 1991 when India was jostling with balance of payment crisis with tattering economy and RBI had pledged 47 tons of gold with Bank of England and Bank of Japan to raise 400 million US dollars to pay up the import bills. Imagine someone whispering in Manmohan Singh's ears just after his 1991 budget speech ending license raj and liberating the economy. Minister Saab, don't worry about foreign, foreign currency reserves. Our IT industry will become a global back office and will generate 150 billion US dollars per year in man-hour billings alone. After hearing such whispers, both Panditji and Manmohan Singh would have said to themselves, it sounds like a wishful thinking, but I hope whisperer is right. Let us come closer to the current period in the timeline. Year 2001, right after Y2K, which established India firmly as world's preferred destination for IT, IT and engineering services, BP, like business processing services, outsourcing and catapulted internet-based ventures to create an economic boom, which is also known as dot-com bubble. During those times, how many tech moguls had imagined that there would be job titles such as crypto miner, NFT trader, data scientist, digital influencer within next two decades? I know you're frowning at me by saying your arguments are classic example of selection bias. All your examples are related to technology and IT, which itself is a big disruptor. Labor market in other sector is not much volatile. Well, let me take the pleasure in breaking up that myth as well. Fast forward the timeline and come to year 2018. How many of you would have believed me if I would have then said that in next three years, these job titles would be in huge demand? First, contact tracer. Second, epidemiologist. Third, quarantine enforcer. Fourth, N95 mask makers. I am just making a point that jobs are bound to get created and get vanished as per the economic requirements. No one can predict the job market behavior in the long run. Cynics would say, okay, the guy from Mohmai and Mehnad has defined the problem and smartly blame 
changing labor market dynamics and economic disruptors for current job crisis or high unemployment rate. He isn't different from Western think tanks like ILO and WF who paints a gloomy picture, jot down the causes for such crisis, blames the government, but do not offer any sort of solutions. To all such cynics, I would like to recite Begum Akhtar's famous lines. Mera azm etna buland hai ki paraye sholo ka dar nahi. Mujhe khof aatish gul se hai, ye kahin chaman ko jala na de. Which translates into, my conviction is so strong that I do not fear the blaze of others. But indeed, I dread the flame of flower of my own garden, lest it should not set ablaze the garden itself. Bharat Mata residing in the heart of every nationalist Indian is likely to agree with the sentiments expressed in these lines. Few of our adamant and unruly children with their pseudo-intellectual friends are doing nothing but to add fuel to the fire. However, we are not among those who shy away from wrestling with the problem. First and foremost, we need to find the root cause of the problem. Is it indeed a job crisis? When tax collection is all-time high and economic output is Breaking records, how can people find it difficult to get the jobs? The real problem is not the dearth of jobs, but it is that of skill mismatch. It took 72 years for Indians to cross the GDP of 66 million Britishers. Why? Because our capital was handicapped without the labor and our labors were handicapped without capital. I personally know people from finance industry who are willing to pay double salary from the market norms but still are not able to fulfill the openings because they don't get the candidates with required skill sets. How do you bridge such skill gaps to make youth employable and not just a fancy degree holder? I think a troika of employer, youth and academia can bridge the skill gap and make youth not only job ready but also can propel them for more rewarding entrepreneurship. Our learning systems must be modified to cater the needs of both employers from public sector as well as from private sector and youth who will be future employees. There has to be strong business case for earning while learning. Ever wondered why do employers are unwilling to pay for training the youth but pays premium for the trained candidates? When you see job seekers fall into the trap of shady agents demanding huge sum of money to lend a government or private job but shows little enthusiasm to pay for skill training, what do you make out of it? While most employers do not invest in training youth due to fear of attrition, most of the youth simply can't afford to build employable skills out of their own pocket. It makes a strong case for stipend-based summer training program. By the employer where the trainee gets paid for performing short-term tasks or projects, an employer gets return on investment by having candidates per their business need, lower attrition rate, and lower time to fill the job openings. Most of the curriculum in our education institutes focuses on hard skills such as engineering, operations, legal aspects, etc., which are taught, and doesn't touch soft skills such as sales, customer services, negotiations, which can only be caught on the job. Academic institutions must craft immersion modules in collaboration with local industries, government departments, NGOs to integrate theoretical curriculum with practical learnings to enable actual doing. Learning has to be affordable and has to provide healthy return on investment for the youth. An Ivy League MBA costs around Rs 25,000 per teaching hour. An MBA from IIMs costs around Rs 5,000 per teaching hour. And that from a local unranked MBA college may cost around Rs 500 per teaching hour. While there are factors to be considered like brand value of the institute, exchange rates, 
salary of the faculties offering courses at such institutes recruiters visiting such campuses while comparing fees of us mbas and that of im mbas but it still doesn't answer the gap of 900% between the fees of ranked and unranked mbas in india are the pay packages of faculties teaching at ranked mba colleges and are paid majority portion of the fees charged to the students the answer would mostly be no then why not reduce the fees and make it affordable for you to attend the college remember i'm not asking to dilute the entry barriers the entry criteria could be as rigorous as they could be but fees could be reasonable to make profit for the colleges to the extent that students do not get bogged down by the loan debt and stop taking jobs with high risk reward like at a startup or become a subject matter expert which pays huge sum after acquiring experience with low pay in initial years learning must be without degree caste system we are accustomed to attribute higher values to degree holders in particular packing order which is phd holder is more reputable than master degree holder master degree holder is more reputable than bachelor degree holder the diploma holder is considered inferior to the bachelor degree holder and last or the at the bottom of the packing order is those who are holding certificates from the vocational trainings or from iits when modi ji stated that hard work is more powerful than harvard he was referring to such degree caste system why do we have to deal with partitions between school skills and colleges why don't we expect a mechanical engineer to be well versed with functioning of cnc machine during his bachelor's why do we attribute man- manual work to only those who has gone through vocational training program nep must make common curriculum for the students and grant certificates based on types of credits obtained while studying in and not just on number of years studied during the program the world has produced more graduates in last 40 years than it produced in the 800, 800 years prior however not all those graduates got employed in the field of their study degree holders make up 60% of the taxi drivers in korea 31% of checkout clerks at us large format retail chains such as walmart mcdonalds subway sandwiches are graduates and degree holders make up of 15% of indian high end security guards the issue over here is that of excessive supply the world is churning out lesser businesses and thus capacity expansion for both services and manufacturing is not keeping up pace with the supply of the graduates iims and iits are good places to be at but better places to be from why do people graduating from iits and iims are best among the lot of engineers and managers because those institutes enforce high entry gates and only those who can as the cut throat entrance exams can enter those coveted courses engineering from regional colleges used to be valued more not because of the tough entry gates but because of tough exit gates engineering just like chartered accountants had tight exit gates thus controlling the supply of engineers to the extent that the supply barely met the demand of the engineering graduates massifying the high education has diluted the rigor of the degree courses and thus have compromised with excellence and employability in pursuit of fake quality which translates into engineering for all who can pay for it to have a large and lasting impact in the fight against youth unemployment we must jump over our own shadows and start collaborating sharing knowledge and best practices this is not the time for egocentrism but one for more balanced stance including altruism and collectivism in the interest of our own 
younger generation we must engage in an open dialogue to come up with and share the most suitable solutions to help today's and tomorrow's youth we must not shrug off our responsibility by pointing fingers towards government we must act in collaborative manner if we want to take a youth em- unemployment we must leverage the wisdom of the crowd and include as many individuals in the dialogue as possible we must be ready to help others implementing similar solutions ultimately we must take full responsibility for what is happening now and drive forward solutions as effectively and efficiently as possible to make sure that the world of tomorrow the world we are living to our children remains a pleasant place to live in as a widely used native american saying goes we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors we borrow it from our children a group of like minded concerned citizens of india have decided to fight the menace of unemployment head on it is a movement called swavalambi bharat abhiyan i am part of this movement and i urge all of you to be part of it to be a problem solver and not just a wimpy complainer that's it from momaya and mehnat today please like share and subscribe if you like the video you can leave your thoughts in the comment sections too goodbye